I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hey, everyone. I'm Eli. I'm Diana. We wanted to talk about some feedback that we got from Alexandria Matthews, who said that she wants a Speculation Station t-shirt. Love it. Wouldn't that be exciting? I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I have thought that if we ever had a t-shirt, it would be Speculation Station. Yeah. But yes, I think that would be so awesome. Let us know if that sounds like something you would want. I don't know that we can make that happen. We got to talk. We've got some corporate overlords. But uh, maybe if we came to them with interest, maybe if we were like, hey, 6,000 people wrote us an email saying they want a t-shirt. That's pretty good. Well, anyway, thanks, Alexandria. We will do our best to make yeah. a Speculation Station t-shirt happen for you. I was going to ask, did you ever get into punk music at all? Not really. I mean, like, everyone I knew either liked top 40 garbage that I didn't generally like or felt like I couldn't like because the other people I knew were so judgmental, nothing was good enough. So I didn't know what to listen to. Everything seemed like a socially bad option. Mm. So I ended up not getting very into music. Oh, that's sad. Everything just seemed like the wrong choice. Mm. So I kind of just stayed away from it, stuck to movies and theater. Mm. What about you? I liked some punk music, but I, similar to you, did have some music snobs in my life that made it hard to like music out loud. Yeah. I didn't feel like I 
liked bad music, but I also was like, I know I like some stuff you don't like. I just don't care that you don't like it, but I'm not going to talk about it and argue with you. Yeah. So I'd just be like, I'll just buy my shit and listen to it and not tell you about it, I guess. So that sucks. If you like something, you should let people be uh, stupid about it with you because they can get better at liking it. <laughs> so yeah, I like I had like some dead Kennedys and sure. I had some dead milkmen. Yeah. And I had I loved the Ramones. Dead Kennedys were the ones who said Nazi punks yeah, go fuck home. Off. Fuck off. Yeah. yeah. Nazi punks go home. Go so, home, so mild. Nazi punks. <laughs> Nazi punks. <laughs> we don't like you very much. That's the kids bop version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Bad Brains is out there being like, hey, we black people do punk music, too. Why didn't take that fucking swastika off your right. goddamn backpack, you idiot? Right. Anyway, Bad Brains is cool. That's another one I really liked. There you go. But we're here to talk about Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen, who are two very uh, challenging people. Uh, and <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good word for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's a fascinating story. I was sucked in. I, I have more on this document than I will ever be able to fit into this podcast, but we're going to try and consolidate that and tell you all the story of Sid and Nancy. Um, They were two very intense people uh, who only could have loved each other. Quite (laughs) literally, I I don't know if anyone else on the planet would have been able to tolerate either one of them as much as they would each other. So in a way, you know, they found each other and there's something beautiful in that. That's Um, true. But we'll look at their story and see if we can find anything else beautiful because it's... uh, (laughs) It's a tough look. So, yeah. That's like the one flower in the concrete or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited, though. Let's uh, let's get to it. Yeah, let's do it. So, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together, because this is Sid, Vicious, and Nancy Spongin, or Ridiculous Romance. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic debts. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in our show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So, May 10th, 1957, a man is born, a baby is born, a child is born. (laughs) A man is born, fully formed. (laughs) A man sprung forth from his egg. Uh, (laughs) His name was John Simon Ritchie. Very punk name. Right. John Simon. (laughs) He was born in London. Now, we can't talk about John Simon Ritchie without talking about the Sex Pistols. They were one of the most influential most groundbreaking acts in music history. And this is, they burned bright and fast. They were not around for very long. They kicked off the punk scene in the UK. So there was this guy, Malcolm McLaren. Malcolm's, uh... (laughs) Is he our villain of the week? Malcolm's sort of our villain of the week. He's just kind of our general asshole of the time. (laughs) (laughs) We We have villain of the week and then we have general asshole of the time. Right, right. I guess everyone in this is sort of the villain of the week at some point. Yeah, it's a lot of villains. Mm -hmm. Malcolm McLaren was like this art school kid, and he opened up a fashion store with a woman named Vivian Westwood called Let It Rock in London. And eventually Malcolm changed the name of the store to just Sex. I sex sells, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I guess you're right, Malcolm, it does. That's all I'm trying to do is sell stuff. And it became like basically a fetish clothing wear store. There's lots of leather and fishnets and collars and things like that. 
So one thing Malcolm would do is he would kind of put customers together into bands because he was also a band manager. And there was these guys, Paul Cook and Steve Jones, that would come in and shop a lot. And one day he says to them, Hey, you got to play with my friend Glenn Matlock in his band. It's called Cutie Jones and the Sex Pistols. Glenn Matlock, also a very punk name. Yeah, right? I'm being sarcastic, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Glenn Matlock is a very good punk name. <laughs> <laughs> and let's point out that he was not like, oh, Paul Cook, Steve Jones, can, can you play an instrument? Right. Did not matter. <laughs> was not irrelevant. In fact, there was this time that he booted a guitarist and singer named Wally Nightingale out of a band because he wasn't visually flashy enough because he wanted people to have a look yeah. and an attitude. It was more about that than the sound right. that they were creating. So, yeah, he was just like, y'all look y'all look the part. Get up here <laughs> and fucking hold this and just kind of move your arm around. Well, and Paul and Steve fortunately could play instruments at least, so that was good. But uh, But it certainly wasn't his priority criteria. <laughs> but after he booted Wally, of course, they needed a new lead singer. So eventually they see this customer, John Lydon, and they are like zeroed in on him because he is wearing a Pink Floyd shirt. But it, he had scrawled, I hate onto it. So it said, I hate Pink Floyd. And you know, it's Pink Floyd is huge at this time. Everybody loves Pink Floyd. Right. So they were like, now, this looks like my counterculture bro. Yeah. So they added him to the band. They shortened the name to Sex Pistols because it made them sound like sexy young assassins. And Johnny, you know, John Lydon, another not great punk name. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they wanted a stage name. And he got his nickname, Johnny Rotten, because Steve saw his teeth and said, You're rotten, you are. Yeah. <laughs> Which is insulting, frankly, but <laughs> Johnny Rotten loved <laughs> Not it. Not Johnny, yeah. I know. He was like, yes. He said he liked it because it was funny. If you're going to be dealing with a ridiculous name like the Sex Pistols, you're fucked if you're going to be taking it serious. Yeah, and this was the thing with Johnny. Like, He kind of felt like Sex Pistols was intentionally a joke. Like, it was supposed to just get under your skin and be flashy and kind of irritate you and make you think twice. And it was like... Like his shirt. Yeah. He knew it was about attention. Yeah. He knew it was about a joke, and if you got the joke, you were awesome. Mm -hmm. If you didn't, or you didn't like them, then cool, too. Like, whatever reaction they got was good. If the reaction was, yes, you guys are fucking brilliant, great. If the reaction was, fuck you, you're terror, you're destroying this country, then great. Yeah. Um, like, good, I don't like it here. And McLaren was really interested in all these counterculture guys forming bands and stuff because he kind of wanted to get a sound from the streets. He was sort of like, listen, speaking of Pink Floyd and other band, rock bands, you know, were really big, but they were millionaires. So they were kind of out of touch at this point with what's really going on in the world. In 1975, McLaren said, Rock is fundamentally a young people's music, right? A lot of kids feel cheated. They feel the music's been taken away from them by that whole over 25 audience. <laughs> he saw a, a void in the market. He was like, mm -hmm. you know, look at all these kids who fucking hate Pink Floyd because they don't care. They're driving around in Rolls Royces. Right. Pretending like, you know, oh, we're singing songs for you. And there's all these poor kids, you know, stoned off their asses in the street, basically saying, fuck you. No, it's not. Yeah, this is not relevant to me. Right. So they're building the band up now. Um, they've been recording. Uh, a couple of singles are coming out. But Johnny Rotten had this friend, John Ritchie, who we mentioned earlier. And Johnny was hanging out with John Ritchie, and he had a pet hamster whose name was Sid, after Sid Barrett from Pink Floyd. 
I guess that was like a fuck you to Pink Floyd. Is like I'm gonna name my hamster, hamster after, after you. you? Yeah. <laughs> kind or of he was like Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett was cool, but Pink Floyd without Sid Barrett is Maybe. stupid. Because Sid Barrett was way crazier than than David Gilmour, I think. So yeah. So John Ritchie was playing with his hamster and it bit him, and he said, "Oh, Sid is really vicious." And Johnny said, "Sid, vicious. That's your name." And John Ritchie was like, "Fucking cool, yeah." It'll be Sid Vicious, all right. That, that is good. a dope name. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. And these guys would go out on the street and they would busk for money. They'd play tambourine and uh, they would play Alice Cooper covers and people would pay them to stop because they were so bad. Hey, whatever works. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> so in 1976, Sid's 19 years old and he goes and plays his very first show. He's playing drums for Susie and the Banshees at the 100 Club Punk Festival. And it is an improv set. The band did not know any songs. <laughs> they, they did not, I guess, rehearse nope. <laughs> or whatever for this. That's not very punk to be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he did not know how to play drums. So, yeah. Not a great set, I would guess. And he actually missed an audition for The Damned. He claimed that Dan Vanian gave him bad information to sabotage him. Um, and on the second day of the 100 Club Festival, Vicious threw a beer glass at Dan Banyan while the Damned played, but he missed, and the glass hit a pillar where it shattered and it blinded a girl in one eye. Ouch! And so Sid was arrested the next day. So Sex Pistols are popping off. They've got their first single out, Anarchy in the UK, and they go in for a last-minute fill-in on a live TV broadcast after Queen dropped out because Freddie Mercury had a dental appointment. So they're like, oh, we don't have Queen. Oh, we don't have Queen. Who can we get? Oh, no, the Sex Pistols. And, you know, not that many people know them personally at this point. They've heard their music. But here they go on TV, live TV, and they are fucking just awful. They are (laughs) cursing and saying fuck you and just being really nasty and punk and very unpleasant in general on this live TV broadcast and the next day they are headline news all over the UK. Mm. Now everybody knows who they are and what they're like which is great for them and great for Malcolm McLaren. Glenn Matlock left the band in 1977. At the time McLaren and the Sex Pistols said he was kicked out because he liked the Beatles and he washed his feet. Ew. Ew, he washes his feet like some kind of straight edge. There's two things you can't do in the Sex Pistols, <laughs> and that's like the Beatles and mm. wash yourself. Gross. We're all <laughs> supposed to smell like the bottom of a sewer. <laughs> but Matlock later said he left on mutual agreement because Johnny Rotten was getting a big ego after getting his name in the papers. So after Matlock left, they needed a new bassist, right? So they turned to the ultimate Sex Pistols fan, this kid who had been at every show, loved every one of their songs, knew every one of their songs inside and out, and that kid's name was Sid Vicious. McLaren fucking loved it, because McLaren was all about the show, and Sid Vicious was born to be a showman. I mean, he really wanted the fucking attention at all times and knew how to pull it to himself. Johnny was basically always fighting with the other band members. He had kind of an ego. And having Sid come in and be on his side was something that he really wanted. But the other two just thought Sid was totally nuts. I guess the evidence of their eyes and ears probably led them to think that. Yeah, but Sid had no experience on bass. But it didn't matter because, again, McLaren just loved him. 
So let's talk about Sid's mom, because this kid came from somewhere. Uh, His mother was named Ann Beverly. She was a heroin addict and a drug trafficker. And when he was a child, she actually used Sid to smuggle drugs between Spain and England. She would put, she would like stuff his clothes with heroin. According to HistoryCollection.com, even Johnny Rotten was horrified when Sid had a birthday and his mom came out and gave him heroin as a present. Uh, So unsurprisingly, Sid is a serious drug addict. Johnny said Sid would self-mutilate for attention. He said if no one was taking notice of him, he'd cut his hand or something. You'd have to take your mind off everything else and look at him. Which is exactly what McLaren wanted, of course. And when Johnny and Sid lived together, Sid had a dark habit of strangling cats. Yeah, with a belt. <sighs> really awful. Just awful. Uh, this is the kind of thing, I mean, he, like we just said, it was all about attention. I mean, uh, he probably wasn't getting it at home. It was just him and his mom. Right, and his mom like, was strung out, strung out all the time. And so he was desperate for attention and he would do horrible things to get it yeah because any attention to him was good in fact negative attention was best Mm. so we've got a strung out young teenage kid in a very popular band prone to violence surrounded by a bunch of people who are going to encourage his worst behaviors yep hard to love old sid Mm -hmm. and across the pond in the states 1958 there was a girl born in the philadelphia suburbs Named Nancy Spungen. Very different upbringing from Sid. Completely different. Nancy was born to a suburban Jewish family. She had the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck when she was born. I I did that as well. That happened to me. Oh, really? Yeah, I was born at home. Cord twice around my neck. Totally blue. Couldn't breathe. Uh, The story goes that um, my mom's midwife did the thing from 101 Dalmatians with Lucky where she took a towel and just like rubbed. rubbed... Like, wake up, and then I came to life. You're lucky. That's so cute. Yeah, and then I was born dead. (laughs) Adorable. (laughs) So you're really a zombie, actually. Uh, Yeah, technically, I guess I am. Wow. Nice. I feel like you should have just closed that before we got married. Well, it's not contagious, obviously. I guess you haven't bit me enough. It was... (laughs) It wasn't a big deal for me, uh, but they were very... (laughs) They were very concerned that it did something to Nancy. She left the hospital without brain damage. They said she was fine. But she was incredibly violent as a young baby. It's weird to think about a violent baby. Yeah. A pediatrician prescribed a barbiturate for her as an infant, which is a pretty intense sedative. Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't work. Nancy's mother, Deborah, who wrote a book called And I Don't Want to Live This Life, an autobiography of her raising Nancy, she wrote, I know it's normal for babies to scream, but Nancy did nothing but scream. I I gotta pause because I can't tell you enough about how insane this book is. And even if you take it with a grain of salt, if Deborah's stories about Nancy are half true, it is the craziest stories I've ever heard. Yeah. This kid was so violent and aggressive and screaming and not just screaming noise, but brutal, vicious insults Mm -hmm. from a very young age. She attacked a phone repairman when she was two. She tried to kill a babysitter with a pair of scissors when she was a little older than that. When she was 11, she attacked her mother with a hammer and tried to beat her to death. Doctors said, oh, this is normal. It's just youthful aggression. 
which it wasn't. How many kids are you getting in here that attacked a babysitter with scissors and shit? Like, that is not normal. What a weird thing to tell someone. Other times they would say, oh, it's clearly bad parenting. You know, and and Nancy's mom is like, well, I've got two other kids because Nancy had a younger brother and sister who are totally fine and don't attack me with hammers. So I guess I just got lucky with those two. Meanwhile, I'm shocked they had another one after the first one. I I don't know. I might have been like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) clearly I got something wrong in this womb. We're not doing this again. I mean, she was Damien. She Mm was uh, (laughs) the good son, the exorcist, all these horrible nightmare demon children wrapped into one. She was in and out of boarding schools. The schools would, you know, try and find ways to kick her out. But there was only a few in the country that were able to handle someone like Nancy. And most of them were way too expensive. They're talking $18,000 a month. She would come home and scream and yell and say, fuck you for not letting me smoke in the house. And I'm going to kill you and all this crazy shit. And all these systems were failing her, not just the boarding schools, but psychiatrists regularly should say, you know, some some new psychiatrist would say, I've got I've got the solution. Come see me. And then within a month, they'd say, I'm dropping her as a client. I don't want to see her anymore. Because she's a demon. You need you need a priest. (laughs) Which they went to their rabbi and he said, there's nothing I could do for you. Well, yeah, rabbis don't do exorcisms. You need a Catholic <laughs> priest. <laughs> right. right. You went to the wrong church for this particular issue. <laughs> Nancy was extremely intelligent for her age. But even so, this boarding school graduated her very early at the age of 14 just because they just wanted to get rid of her. They were like, whatever, get it. Here's a diploma. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, like basically like, hello, Miss Spongin. Um, your daughter is very bright. We're very happy to have had her in our school. Surely she'll be a shining star of our amongst our alumni for years to come. Wow, I've never heard that one before. Yeah, uh, well, we want her the fuck out, so we're going to graduate her now. Um, That one I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's four years early, but she'll be fine. It's fine. You know, she (laughs) almost murdered several classmates and teachers, but she'll probably do better at college. Yeah, surrounded by a lot older people Uh with a lot older things that they can do. Yeah, she'll really thrive. Yep. She went to the University of Colorado in Boulder because she liked to ski, and it was a big skiing school. Sure. There's, hey. There's worse reasons to go to a university, I feel. I think her parents were like, if you like something, please do it. Right. Also, <laughs> that's very far away from, yeah. from Philadelphia. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, but she got arrested for stealing skis. She was hanging out with some bad kids who were stealing skis, and they were stashing them in her room. She didn't technically steal the skis, but she was in a ski-stealing ring. Basically. Wow. <laughs> she was the fence yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the skis. She also bought drugs from an undercover federal officer, but they did not want to press charges on that because it was actually this big undercover operation that they were running. So they told Nancy's parents, listen, if she leaves Colorado, we'll drop these charges. But you can't tell her why we dropped the charges until the investigation's over. So they booted her out of school for the ski thing. That's what they used as their excuse, basically. Uh But Nancy, of course wasn't interested in facts anyway, so she just blamed her dad. She was like, you didn't fight hard enough for me to stay in the school yeah. that I liked, so fuck you, I hate you. Because she thought it was just this ski theft, right, which she like didn't feel like was deal. an expulsionary thing, but uh, he was able to tell her a few years later after the bust went through, but it was too late. She already had this grudge against him pretty much forever from then on. 
So yeah, she goes home. She's a monster. And she ends up in this psychiatric center um, because she flipped a car. She got into a car accident, so they arrested her. And great move by the American healthcare system. The psychiatric center said, oh yeah, she definitely needs to be here. She needs help. But your insurance only covers 30 days, and we can't help her in 30 days. So, bye. Yeah, they actually said, you waited too long to bring her in. She's too, she, it, it'll take too long to get her better. Wow. Again, just blaming the parents. Right, and Deborah's like, I tried to bring her in to another place, and they told me it was my fault. Right. So it's still my fault. And they did see one doctor who did diagnose her with schizophrenia. His treatment option was this thing that's it's not well thought of today by most medical organizations it's this big vitamin injection uh diet based sort of plan that's supposed to cure schizophrenia and of course most Mm -hmm. people are like "Eh, that's not going to be a thing but they couldn't afford to give her that anyway but she's back home and eventually she convinces her parents to let her move to new york city and they're in philadelphia it's not too far and they think you know it it seems dangerous but oh, you got to look at this book to see what kind of situation they were in because it was such a nightmare to have her around, especially for the other two kids. She was very aggressive towards her younger sister, especially. And I think they're thinking, look, yes, it's a more volatile place, but maybe she'll find some happiness there and maybe that'll stabilize her. Um, So she goes to New York. So she's in New York. She supports herself by doing some stripping and some sex work. And she started to turn herself into a punk legend because... She saw this punk scene, and it really spoke to her, which makes sense to me. (laughs) Right. Uh, She got, you know, her signature look, poofy, bleached blonde hair, kind of smeared makeup. Uh, She wore fishnets, really gaudy patterns and colors. And uh, she started providing bands with their heroine. So she's a groupie for bands like Bad Company, Aerosmith, the Ramones, the New York Dolls, which was a McLaren's other band, and Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers. But before long, she had worn out New York. The crowd thought she tried too hard, and uh, her personality was really intense. They called her Nauseating Nancy, which is a really long nickname, (laughs) honestly. They could have come up with something more snappy, I feel. Like nasty. But anyway, whatever. And she didn't really fit in with the other groupies either because there was a whole look for groupies that they had to kind of conform to weirdly in this non-conformist scene. They all had to be skinny and tall and super hot. And she wasn't. She was a little overweight. She was, Mm -hmm. you know. I think a little short too, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. And she kind of dressed her own way and stuff and just. And she was a bitch. (laughs) She was hard to be around. Um, But it was probably jealousy because she was fucking all these musicians. And so she was kind of competition for all these other groupies. And they were like, why are they sleeping with her? She's not even as hot as me. You know, and that made her real mad. She didn't like that. So she's mad at everyone in New York and they all mad at her. She needs a new scene. So she said, quote, I read the first Sex Pistols review, which was shit. And I said, I got to get over there. And I started saving up for London. This info comes from a book called The Filth and the Fury by Julian Temple. Nancy saved up $5,000 14 times, but every time she would blow it on smack. But then finally, she worked 11 days straight. She did not spend her money on drugs. She spent it on a ticket to London. So when she gets to London, she had to stay at her friend Linda's flat because she was very sick from heroin withdrawal. It was way easier to get heroin in New York City at the time than it was in London. So she's staying at Linda's, where another guy happened to be staying too. His name? Sid Vicious. 
And Sid was everything for her. He's a shitty mess. She's a shitty mess. She was like, look, another shitty mess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested in you. <laughs> and Sid thought she fucking ruled. She would tell him all about New York City and what it was like to be a rock star there. And he thought that sounded so fucking cool. And so she went to every Sex Pistols show and hung out. And guess what? The scene in London, they really didn't like her that much either. Very difficult person to like. But she managed to find herself a heroin dealer. And this heroin dealer, of course, is like, holy shit, somebody's buying a lot more heroin all of a sudden. And she starts supplying it to the band's. And basically made herself very important. But Lee Childers, a tour manager of the Heartbreakers, said she was a junkie. She was a drug supplier and an all-around lowlife. She was a, and this is a quote, very, 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 very bad influence on people who were already a mess. <laughs> Lee Childers was like, I can't, I can't think of a word other than bad. So I'll just say very six times <laughs> so that you know what I'm trying to come across. There's no other way to say it. <laughs> And if she's a very bad influence on people who are already a mess, well, who's already a mess? Sid Vicious. Mm, very true. So she turns Sid's already big drug problem into a huge heroin problem. So they become inseparable. Inseparable? Inseparable. Inseparable and inseparable. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody fucking liked Nancy, as we've already stated multiple times. But also, people barely liked Sid, really. I guess he was kind of funny, but otherwise he was just really hard to be around. Everybody did say he was hilarious. Yeah. I think if it was directed at someone else, it was hilarious. But if it was coming at you, it, you didn't yeah, like it, it because he did cut deep. But he was such an attention junkie that people like could only take so much of him, I think. Yeah. But they really loved each other. Um, but they were kind of addicted to each other. And drugs, of course, they were also addicted to drugs. Many drugs. We have not driven that point home yet. So by the middle of the summer of 1977, they moved in together. So Sex Pistols are having some internal struggles at this point. Steve and Paul are really into the groupies and the fame, where Glenn was all about the music. Um, so when Glenn left and Sid joined, that all changed. Yeah, in fact, Steve Jones once said, I kind of regretted Glenn leaving because Sid couldn't play a fucking note and he was dark, man. It wasn't fun anymore. It was, but he was Johnny Rotten's best friend. So what could we fucking do? Actually, Sid was overdubbed by Steve on their recording of "God Save the Queen," one of their most popular songs, um, because again, he can't play. <laughs> so I can kind of see why Steve was like, "Why is this guy here?" Yeah. Uh, Lemmy from Motorhead actually tried to teach him some bass. If anyone is going to teach you the bass, <laughs> right? It's going to be Lemmy, Lemmy from fucking Motorhead. Yeah. But it did not stick, and Lemmy said that Sid had no aptitude for music at all. <laughs> so. Sid really wanted to play on their debut album. So he came down and he laid down two tracks, but they were so bad, like we said, Steve had to redub them. But instead of being able to play on the rest of the album, fortunately, as Steve put it, Sid came down with a case of hepatitis. So he was hospitalized while they were recording the album and didn't get to play on any, any of the other tracks. Steve played the whole thing. Mm -hmm. The album came out. It was a pretty big hit. Rolling Stones said it was just about the most exciting rock and roll record of the 70s. And the band really hated Nancy being around. Understandable, because as we say, she's very difficult to be around. But also is maybe a little bit um, sexist. <gasps> the music industry. <laughs> yeah. Sexist? What? Sexism? Yeah, Steve Jones even once said, Everyone knows that when a bird starts poking a nose into a rock and roll band, it's fucking suicidal. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so he's got already that attitude of like, girls can't, oh, my bassist is dating a girl. That's going to ruin the band. Right. You know, Yoko and the Beatles, all right. that. Now, I mean. In this case, however. Well, uh, well, you know what I'll say is that Nancy didn't ruin the Sex Pistols. Sid did that. Yeah. Steve even thought that Nancy had introduced Sid to heroin. And Nancy definitely accelerated Sid's heroin use. But it wasn't her. Sid came with heroin as part of the package. But, yes, she was a terrible influence. She said, I didn't fuck all the Sex Pistols. Only Sid and Johnny. When Sid was hospitalized with hepatitis, he told her, hey, heads up, Johnny is definitely going to try to hit on you while I'm in here. Just you wait. And he did. But Nancy is too classy for (laughs) his punk shenanigans. Yeah. Okay. He's like, hey, Nancy, I I see Sid's laid up. Uh, Why you me? Why don't we go fuck around a little bit in the bathroom, huh? Uh, no. I'm not an in-the-bathroom fucker anymore. Take me to your house. (laughs) Well, I've got news for you. My house is dirtier than the bathroom. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Steve said that the first time he met her, they were playing a show, and she showed up with Sid at Soundcheck. He really felt like she was fucking horrible from day one. He said everything around her was a dark cloud. He said, I've never felt a negative energy from anyone before, but I fucking hated her. And Sid had no nice words for Stephen Paul. He said they were a couple of sheep. He said, oh, they just do whatever Malcolm says. They're terrified of anything to do with drugs. You know, they're just wimps. And Johnny had a big problem with Nancy because she was Sid's heroin dealer girlfriend. And he was kind of like, she's constantly telling Sid that he's the true star and that Johnny's an asshole. And Johnny was like, she might be right, but the point is, Sid's my mate, and I don't want him to be a junkie. He was far too young for that shit. So the band's having a tough time, because Nancy's up in here, Sid's all fucked up. They are flaming each other out. Uh (laughs) And everyone else is getting burned. So by December 1977, they had been banned from playing pretty much anywhere in the UK. There was just a lot of violence, especially with Sid around. Like one time in a bar fight, Sid took a swing at a TV producer's friend with a broken bottle and stabbed him in the wrist. Ouch! Uh, Another time, this journalist, Nick Kent, was chain-whipped by Sid one time. And afterwards, fans of Sid kept attacking the same journalist just to emulate Sid Vicious. He said he was stabbed repeatedly one time at King's Cross Station. And another time he was at the Roxy in the bathroom and somebody attacked him with a knife. He said he asked himself, did my colleague find himself in such life or death situations when he was out reviewing Randy Newman? Probably. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there's some violent Randy Newman fans out there. You got a knife in me. (laughs) You got a knife in me. You got knives and they're in me. <laughs> there isn't any knife you wouldn't put in me. <laughs> now I'm bleeding out on the floor because <laughs> you put a knife in me. <laughs> I think we're finally going to get that season desist from Disney. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I've been waiting. So try and guess where and when and for whom you think their final UK show was for the Sex Pistols? Yeah, where did where? Yeah, where I'm was their guess final show? It was for uh, death row inmates uh, on Arbor Day mm-hmm. in a burned down factory. 
this is a fun version of Clue that we should make. But no, you were <laughs> totally wrong. <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> no, it was on Christmas Day, and they played for the children. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Firefighters had been striking for months, and they were raising money, and the Sex Pistols came out to play their benefit. And honestly, it actually went really well. Sid had to have a stern talking to beforehand because, of course, he wanted to be violent and crazy and throwing shit and starting fights. And somebody was like, hey, maybe that's not the best way to get our message across to children, huh? Uh -huh. And so he chilled himself out and everybody had a really good time. Even when the firefighters were like throwing stuff at them while they played, it was all in good fun. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nancy was there and uh, Sid was happy and everybody had a nice time. So that was their last show in the UK before they decided to take on America. And we will find out about that right after this. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier, connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. All right, welcome back. We're here with Sex Pistols. They just finished what would be their final show in the UK. They didn't know it at the time, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were going on an American tour. Now, to Malcolm McLaren, their manager, the chaos, like we said, was the most marketable part. He once famously said, if Johnny's the voice of punk, 
then Sid is the attitude. <laughs> the attitude. Attitude. He said that if he had met Sid first, Sid would have been the front man for the band hands down. Malcolm also kept Sid on a really tight budget, and he would only give him a few dollars a week. It was like $12 American a week to live off of, uh, you know, while he in fact had a shit ton more money, but Malcolm was basically controlling that. So the band was chaotic anyway. Sid had grown in popularity and, accordingly, arrogance. Yeah. He was becoming more of a celebrity than Johnny Rotten, and they would often fight about that. Um, usually Sid said something fucking awful to Steve or Paul. And Johnny would jump in and say something sarcastic to kind of piss Sid off and keep the fight going. Yeah. Um, and Sid said Johnny turned against him because he thought he was taken over as like a new Johnny Rotten. Which Sid said, and like, that's a load of cobblers. <laughs> load of cobblers. I got to add that to my Load lexicon. of cobblers. I love it. <laughs> So in 1978, Malcolm McLaren says, Guess what? We're going on a first American tour. It was time to get the Americans. It's time to get those Yanks mm -hmm. to love the Sex Pistols. Spoiler alert. No, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they're like, oh, fuck yeah. We're going to the States. We're going to play New York and Los Angeles and Chicago and all these big, cool cities, right? No. Actually, Malcolm McLaren booked them all the way across the South. They started here in Atlanta, where we are, and then they went to Memphis, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Dallas, Texas, and San Antonio. Not quite where they were thirsty for punk music. <laughs> yeah. There's a famous picture of the Dallas Longhorn Ballroom Marquee that says, Tonight, Sex Pistols, January 19th, Merle Haggard. So that just kind of gives you an idea of the disconnect that's happening here. Malcolm obviously was doing this for the action. He wanted to start fights. He wanted to piss off the audience. He wanted to make headlines with how outrageous this was going to be. Meanwhile, America had been warning everyone in the headlines about the terrifying sex pistols coming to corrupt our children, which also <laughs> sounds very American. Tonight at 11, do you know where your children are? They might be cannibalizing each other and having sex with drugs. <laughs> Your children might be having sex with a, with a drug right now. Oh my God. <laughs> the full story tonight. <laughs> Tune in or die. Oh, honey, we better watch this. <laughs> Sounds important. It's my patriotic duty to watch this news program tonight. Where are our kids? Hi. Oh, they're outside catching fireflies. <laughs> Um, the Sex Pistols were having trouble getting visas to come to America because all four of them had a criminal record. <laughs> uh, and the FBI and the CIA continuously followed them while they were here. Yeah. They were strip searched at the airport. Yeah. And uh, they said, I remember Steve said something like uh, uh, they were really glad that Sid got strip searched first <laughs> because they were like, as soon as they cleared him, we knew we were okay. All right, everyone. <laughs> Sid made it through. We're all right, because if anyone was going to fuck this up for us... It's going to be Sid. Yeah. And Johnny thought it would be better if Sid was with him the whole time. Yeah. Like, kind of as a, I guess, a little bit of a babysitter, like a buddy system kind yep. of thing. But it did not really work out. Yeah, McLaren had banned Nancy from coming on this tour, you know? I get it. It's like inviting a hurricane with you yeah. <laughs> to a nice beach weekend. He was like, look... 
I want terrible things to happen on this tour and to make headlines for it, but I don't want terrible things that aren't of my design. Right. You know, (laughs) Nancy was just an unpredictable element in this violent equation. But without Nancy there to babysit Sid, Sid went a little bit more crazy than usual. He got kind of unhinged. He was just looking for heroin the entire time because Nancy had told him, oh, you know, heroin is super easy to get in America. And also it's. Oh, my God. So good. And so, as Steve said, it got real depressing and real quick in America. <laughs> I agree, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> and most of their shows ended in brawls, like full on fights. Yeah. There's this notoriously horrible show in Dallas where, like, Sid got punched in the face and just played with blood dripping down his face the whole time. Yeah. And he kept, like, antagonizing cowboys. Like, this cowboy put a cigarette out on his hand. Looking at Sid and being like, you know, but you can't do that. Mm -hmm. So Sid took a knife and slit his own hand open and then just sat down at a table and started eating a burger with blood dripping down his arm and all over his food. So the cowboys are like, okay, this kid's fucking crazy. I'm out of (laughs) here. You know, I'm hardcore, but that's just nuts. (laughs) And then in San Antonio, Sid like swung his guitar at this kid and tried to hit him with his guitar, which might have killed him. They said that's a 10 pound guitar and swinging it that heavy like a bat could really seriously injure if not kill somebody. He missed, fortunately, and like grazed a roadie that was trying to stop them from fighting. But also because Sid wasn't finding heroin, he was drunk the entire time and on whatever else he could get his hands on. Pills, Mm -hmm. other drugs, you know, just fucking stoned as much as he could be. He was not a man who functioned well in a sober state. No, and yeah, so they get to San Francisco on January 14th, 1978, and Sid's like not super impressed with America at this point. Until I got to Frisco and tasted the smack there, fucking straight from Mexico. It's really fucking good. You should try it sometime. He told an interviewer who yeah. <laughs> was probably like, that's OK. Thank I'm good. You. <laughs> so Sid finally found his American smack, pure as hell. Mm-hmm. And it was a dream come true for him. It's just like, you know, just him and a bag of heroin just running towards each other, skipping through a meadow rainbow in the sky. <laughs> so when they would perform, he was just so fucked up at the show that he wasn't even pretending to play on stage. In fact, he was unplugged for most of it. So the rest of the band were pretty pissed about that. Uh, They played for nearly an hour, which was twice as long as they played in Dallas. So they come out for the encore and they play a cover of the Stooges song, No Fun. And during this song, Johnny is breaking down. His inability to communicate with Steve and Paul and Sid's behavior and the way Malcolm's been treating the band... He's just done, and he crouches down towards the end of the song, and Steve and Paul are jamming out, and Sid, of course, off in his own fucking world, and Johnny crouches down on the stage, and he's singing, No fun, no fun, there's no fun in being alone, this is no fun, no fun at all. And by the end of the song, he's literally just sitting on the stage. There's video of this, and you should watch it. He is staring out into the crowd, just blank. You can see it in his eyes that he is so fucking done with what's going on around him. And as the chords come to an end, Johnny says, Ah, ha, ha. Ever get the feeling you've been cheated? Good night. And he walks off stage. Later in Rolling Stone, he said, That quote was directly aimed at management. He said, The band was falling apart. Steve and Paul just wouldn't talk to me. Sid was completely out of his brains, just a waste of space. 
and he said Malcolm wouldn't speak to him. But then Malcolm would turn around and tell Paul and Steve, uh, it's all Johnny's fault, you know. Johnny's the one who's being a diva. Johnny's the problem with the band. So it was just a fucking mess. So the tour was 12 days and seven cities, and the band was done. The Sex Pistols were done. That was the end of that. So Johnny flew to New York City, and he announced that the band had broken up on January 18th. Sid flew to New York City and was immediately hospitalized. <laughs> so Sid goes back to UK and Nancy. Reunited. safe space. Yeah. <laughs> well, as, if you want to call that safe. Safe space. <laughs> and Sid said he just didn't respect Johnny anymore. He said, at one time, that guy looked like a shining star. I still like him, but I've got no respect for him. I wish I could still be friends with him. I'm really upset about it. Aw, oh, poor Sid. Yeah. It was weird. It, th- there's this weird thing with Sid where, like, sometimes if you watch him in interviews, he is kind of asking for help. Mm. He's kind of saying, like, I, I want to care about things. I want some connections. But he just can't do it. Mm. Because as soon as, you, uh, as soon as you extend your hand to him, he stabs it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So There's something weird about that with some, some people who really want help and even ask for it. But if you offer it, you're immediately like, yeah, not a person they want to associate with or right, something. Right, right. Like, maybe it's an ego thing too, where you're like, hey, I really need some help, and someone's like, hey, can I help you? And you're like, I don't need any help. How dare right. you? I'm doing great. Right. You know, I, I wonder if there's something like that. Oh too. yeah, sure, Just sure. Kind of a knee jerk. Like, I'm fine. What do you mean? Yeah. Nancy always wanted to be a band manager. She thought she really understood the business and knew it really well. She said, if I managed the Sex Pistols, I'd save their fucking private lives. Give them a bank account. If they spend all their money, that's their fault. Which is true. But I could also, again, like you said, I see Malcolm being like, I'm not trying to have a bunch of dead rock stars on right. my hands. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, personal responsibility is one thing. Right. But in the face of, like, severe drug addiction, you kind of need to help somebody manage their funds, I Very think, true. to a certain degree. She probably did really want him to get all his money. Oh, so exactly. She could have some of That's... the drugs that he would buy with it. Why do you think she was so pissed <laughs> that Malcolm didn't give him his full cash? Right. She was probably like, I can't afford any fucking heroin right now on your mm-hmm. $12 a week. <laughs> Where's the rest? Where's the rest, Malcolm? <laughs> Malcolm McLaren was trying to get the Sex Pistols movie made. So he was still trying to get the band to record the soundtrack for that movie. And he kept telling Sid, oh, you'll be the front man, Sid. You're going to be a star. I'm telling you, kid, you're going to be the biggest thing in this country since fucking, uh, you know, uh, uh, beans for breakfast. You're going to be the biggest thing in this country since uh, since since crumpets and tea. Mm-hmm. You're going to be the biggest thing in this country since since the Battle of Hastings wow. in 1066. Right? But Sid wasn't having it. He was kind of sick of McLaren. He knew the game. Mm-hmm. He'd, he'd seen it. And probably having Nancy in his ear turned him off of it as well. Because, again, Nancy's no dummy. No, it's true. If there's one thing Nancy could do, and, and friends said this about her, she could see someone conning her from a hundred fucking miles away. You were not going to pull one over on Nancy. Yeah, she thought Sid would do better on his own. So she's probably like, you need more than $12 a week. You should do, I'll manage you, blah, blah, blah. And so Sid agreed to perform a cover of My Way, but only if Malcolm signed like a document saying, I'm not your manager anymore. I'm not going to fuck with you. And My Way was a hit did really well. 
Um, but the music video had to be shot line by line because Sid was so fucked up. Yeah. You can tell if you find this video out there, it is very, very short shots all edited together. And Sid is never in the same shot as anyone else in the video mm. <laughs> because they probably had him propped up on strings. Uh, Sid's mother, for what it's worth, was also mad at Nancy. And uh, Johnny said, Two women and a gram of smack and a young boy. It is a very, very volatile situation. But Sid's like this, ah, he's just this weapon everyone's trying to use also. <laughs> Sid's like, Sid's like the one ring. You know, <laughs> he is this like incredibly destructive, powerful thing that everyone is drawn to for some reason and they don't know why. And everybody thinks they can be the ones to control him and use for their own benefit. And you can't. He is too destructive. Yeah, he corrupts you. So Nancy did take over as Sid's manager. Uh, He rebranded as a solo artist. But their relationship was a mess. Uh, She would verbally abuse him if he showed up without drugs. When we say verbally abused from Nancy, it's horrible. I mean, the shit she would say, I don't know what she said specifically to Sid, but the shit she said to her parents, like, it it upset me Mm. greatly. Yeah. I felt like injured by it because she just knew how to hurt people with her words uh, in a way like I've like she was a master at it. Probably part of that smart thing where she's like, I can see exactly what would hurt you the most to hear right now. Yep. And that's what I'm going to say. Yep. So she'd just scream at him and then, until he lost his temper and got violent with her. And people were just getting over him. You know, they were just done with Sid and Nancy. It's like too much. You know, they're just too much. Yep. Especially together. So, and Sid missed that American smack. He sure did. Golden smack on a hill that he was trying (laughs) to get to again. So they decided in August of 78 to move to New York City together. Yep. And we're going to hear all about that move to New York City and the resulting few months that they lived there when we get back from this commercial break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. 
The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Welcome back. It is August of 1978, and Sid and Nancy have moved into the Hotel Chelsea under the names Mr. and Mrs. John Ritchie. The Hotel Chelsea is this weird socialist artsy haven. This socialist had bought the hotel, and he was like, I want culture to live here. Sounded like actually kind of a cool place. Mm -hmm. Everybody lived at the Hotel Chelsea. I'm talking Bob Dylan, Basquiat, Bette Midler lived there, Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison lived there for a while. This was the hot spot to be. So Nancy says Sid's going to do better with American audiences. And this is Nancy's return to New York because she's kind of showing off to all those haters that she had. All these girls like, oh my God, is that Nancy sponging with Sid Vicious? She's dating Sid Vicious? Oh my God. Um, I wanted to date Sid Vicious. I was going to date Sid Vicious. Well, I was going to date Sid Vicious. I was going to date Sid Vicious. <laughs> there. Groupies' voices just get higher and higher. <laughs> and then this, like, old chain-smoking grandma comes in like, I was going to date Sid Vicious. <laughs> <laughs> the scene is mad. They're like, oh, we already didn't like Nancy, and now she's back here shoving this shit in our face. Right. But nobody in America really gave a shit about punk music. I mean, obviously, we changed our minds about that eventually. But at this point, it wasn't a big thing. New York City is crime-ridden. It's dangerous. It's super dirty. It's just a totally different town than it is now. And Sid and Nancy fell in with all these creeps, <laughs> which makes sense because they're creeps. Yeah. At this point in New York City, I read somewhere that there was something like 75 major violent crimes or felonies committed every hour for Jesus. basically 2000 a day. Friends of Sid and Nancy said in an article in New York Magazine that Sid and Nancy were going down the toilet, man. Everyone could see it. To hang out with them was to make a grievous mistake for your own health. Yeah. And even hardcore users avoided them. It was so bad in their room in the Hotel Chelsea that the manager moved them down to room 100 because it was next to his office and he needed to keep a closer eye on them. He could be like, uh, your neighbors won't be calling to file a sound complaint because I'm your neighbor and I'm always complaining about your sound. <laughs> Hang on, I'm going to call my other line. Hello? Hello? Uh, yeah, Sid and Nancy making a big fucking crazy noise again. Yeah, no surprise there. What do you want me to do about it? I don't know, something, anything? Well, I can't. Okay, goodbye. Yeah, Sid and Nancy make a lot of noise. I know, so loud I can't even hear you, click. <laughs> yeah. And people did say Sid was sometimes very violent towards Nancy, yeah. physically. 
They did this cable access like call-in show in late September. People are calling in to ask them questions. And someone asked Nancy about how she felt about the feminist movement. And Nancy was like pretty strung out, but weirdly articulate. Yeah. And she said, I believe in it a lot. Sid's about the only male I know that's not a male chauvinist. Somebody says, oh, you mean he beats on women as well as men? No, he doesn't beat on women at all. He's he beats on he beats on anyone who gets in his way. (laughs) So So women. (laughs) So women. Yeah. It's such a weird interview. It's mean. People are calling in to attack them. People calling in and being like, your music's derivative. Mm -hmm. Why do you keep saying you have a message when you don't? Uh, you know, what are you trying to say? Why are you copying all these people? And Sid, he never looks up. He's real mumbly. He just, and, you know, whatever. I'll just, I'll just say whatever. Fuck you. And Nancy's kind of handling the whole interview really well in a mm-hmm. weird way. I mean, she's combative, but in a really smart way. Really seeing her kind of intelligent side come out. Why at times I think like, yeah, she probably would have been a good band manager. Yeah, maybe so, because he played some successful shows after this, yeah. too. Um, yeah, in late September, Sid is playing shows at this rock and roll club, Max's Kansas City. Very famous hot rock spot. and roll. Hot spot. Yep. Love to go there sometime. If I could time travel and right. go to Max's Kansas City, that would be dope. But he made a lot of cash, and people would follow them around because wads of cash were just falling out of their pockets. <laughs> I guess they couldn't fit. All the money in their skinny jeans. <laughs> right. <laughs> their pants were too tight. I mean, he was getting $4,000 for some of these shows. Cash. Well, that's quite a leap from $12 a week. Yeah. So October 8th, Nancy and Sid call Deborah, according to her book, and say, we need $3,000 because Nancy's really sick. <coughs> and Deborah's like, well, no. First of all, I don't have $3,000 just to give <laughs> right. you. That's a lot of money. Um, But she's also like, we have a rule. And the rule is, if you go to the hospital, you go to the doctor, you send me the bill and I'll pay it. But I'm not just going to give you a bunch of cash because I know my daughter. She's a drug addict. What happens when you give a drug addict a bunch of cash? They don't go to the doctor. Right. And Deborah has met Sid at this point, too, I'll say. Like, they've met. They know each other. So she knows knows Sid. She knows where the money's going, okay? Then she also says in her book that Nancy called her back by herself without Sid this time and told her that Sid had been beating her up and that the beatings had started again and asked her if if she would pay for her and Sid to go to a detox hospital in Pennsylvania. And Deborah's like, okay, I'll look into it. But Nancy said, I, I won't go anywhere where they lock the doors. I'm not going to be locked up. So Deborah was like, all right, you know what? I'll call around. I'll find a place. We'll We'll get this done for you. And Nancy told her she loved her and she loved her dad. And Deborah wrote, it was almost as if she was saying goodbye. Then October 10th, Sid had been getting beaten up more and more often. (laughs) You wonder why he he wasn't making friends? I think it's so weird that people wanted to beat up this crazy dude. People were put off by him? Hmm. Weird. So Nancy thought the best way to handle that was to buy Sid a knife. (laughs) And then on October 11th, Neon Leon, who's this other musician, great name, uh, (laughs) said Nancy came into their room and showed them a bruise on the side of her face and said, look what Sid did to me, and said that he had hit her with his guitar. Yeah, apparently just took a swing. So the morning of October 12th, by which I mean like midnight that night, and this information all comes from like New York Magazine to a big article, 
the Daily Mail, and then an article from the Soho Weekly in 1978. So in room 100, where Sid and Nancy stayed, there was a ton of activity, constantly. I mean, day in, day out, there's always people coming in and out of the room with drugs, getting drugs, doing drugs, big drug room. I mean, this is why the manager was complaining to himself. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Sid and Nancy were out of heroin, and they were looking for any fix at all. They didn't care what it was. And Neon Leon said that Sid was hanging out, swishing his knife around, showing it off, saying, look at my cool fucking knife. Look what I got. Look at this knife I got. Everybody look out for my knife. I'm going to kill somebody. And they kind of brushed it off because he always said he was going to kill somebody. The boy who cried murder. Yeah. I'm going to kill someone. I'm going to do something outrageous. I'm going to drink your blood. Whatever. They had $24,000 in cash because it had just come in from royalties from his deal with Virgin Records. And everybody who came into that room said, you knew there was $24,000 in cash in that room because it was just strewn about. That's so stupid. So dumb. I mean, they were not clever kids in that respect. So Sid went out and bought 30 pills of a drug called Tuanol, which is a now discontinued barbiturate. It was a sleeping pill, basically. And he took... All 30 of them. Like, people watched him do this. No. And at 1 a.m., Nancy called her friend Victor Colicchio, who was an actor who lived in the Chelsea, and she wanted drugs from him. He came in, he said Sid was completely passed out in the bed, and that there was another man in the room named Michael. It's the only name people know was Michael. He was a tall, skinny, blonde British actor who was new around the hotel. He just moved in, and nobody knew him very well. At 2.30 a.m., Nancy called Rocket's Red Glare. Another great name, uh, who was an actor. Uh, He often worked as a bodyguard for Sid and also for Basquiat, the artist. And he was a stand-up comedian who toured with Steve Buscemi. And he was friends with Willem Dafoe. Like, this Rocket's Red Glare got around. He gets around. He was later in Big. Oh, Rocket's Red Glare in Big. a couple other movies, too. So he knew Tom Hanks. Yeah. So Nancy was only a few degrees removed from Tom Hanks, America's sweetheart. (laughs) America's sweetheart (laughs) and America's Sour Patch Kid. (laughs) Nancy asked Rocket's Red Glare for Delouded, which is a morphine-like drug. At 3.05 a.m., their neighbor Lisa Garcia in room 103 said she heard a pounding on her door and this man yelling, Let me in! Let me in! I'm not playing! But she just ignored it because she's like, I'm not expecting anybody. That's not for me. I'm going to hide in my room quietly. And he went away. At 4 a.m., Nancy called Neon Leon to get some pot. And she said, knock really loud because we're going to be passed out and we want the drugs. So just knock really loud and we'll wake up (laughs) so we can buy it. (laughs) Um, But he didn't go. But he did hear some scuffling in the hallway and a metallic object drop, maybe a knife. At 5 a.m., Sid was seen stumbling around the second floor hallway. So he'd somehow come out of his two-and-all stupor. He was stumbling around, and somebody called a complaint, so a bellhop went up to handle him. Sid tried to attack the bellhop, so the bellhop hit him back and wrestled him to the ground. He said, I just kept hitting him until he went down. And so he's walking away, and Vicious looks up, blood all over his face. He says, is this what you do to a drunk? The bellhop's like, yeah, Yeah. if he attacks me, yeah, it is. So with blood pouring out of his mouth and nose, Sid walked back towards the staircase. The bellhop says, I don't know if he went back to his room, but he did go to the staircase. At 5.30 a.m., an anonymous resident 
said that Sid stumbled bloody into her room. She screamed and kicked him out. Then, the next thing anyone knows happened is at 10 a.m., Sid woke up. The money was gone, and Nancy was under the bathroom sink, slumped up against the wall, a knife wound to her abdomen, and she was dead. Mm. Police arrived, and Sid was quickly arrested. Not a single other person in the hotel was brought in for police questioning. None of the other people who were in the room that night were treated as suspects. Even though the mysterious Michael guy was seen with a wad of cash tied with Nancy's purple hair tie that she wore a lot, and he moved out in the next few days and was never seen again, but the police made zero attempt to find him. The coroner speculated that she was stabbed between 6 and 7 a.m. and died between 8 and 10 a.m. Initial reports say that Sid confessed to the murder, but Inside Edition said that's not accurate. Um, A police report that Sid's lawyer has says that Sid did never confess to killing his girlfriend. I guess there's a quote, I did it because I'm a dirty dog, but that was possibly coerced out of him or maybe taken out of context. But he said all kinds of conflicting things. He said, I stabbed her, but I never meant to kill her. He said, we argued and she fell on the knife. He said, I don't remember anything since one in the morning. So his story's all over the place. I mean, yeah. the guy was fucked up. So he yeah. probably, even if he did do something, probably did not remember it. Well, and some friends theorize that that's exactly what happened is that he woke up saw that Nancy was dead, saw the blood everywhere and on him, and just assumed he did do it. Oh, because he was bloody from the bellhop. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Sid was put in jail, but Malcolm McLaren caught word, and he hired a lawyer for him and raised bail for him. So I guess Malcolm still felt a little little bit of responsibility. Oh, I think Malcolm Sid. thought, this kid's going to be even more in the headlines. I wonder what else I can make off of him. <laughs> that's just my <laughs> that, idea. Yeah, that's probably more accurate. Uh, actually, Richard Branson and Virgin Records fronted the $50,000 bail. So, Man, he could have people... spent that on going to space. Oh, wait, don't <laughs> worry. Yeah, but people, I mean, again, I, I find it hard to believe anybody had any real love for him, and they didn't just see this as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, that kid's too valuable to go to jail. Mm-hmm. There was always money to be made under Sid Vicious. Yeah, in fact... By mid-October, McLaren's shop, Sex, his fashion shop, is selling t-shirts with Sid's picture on it that say, I'm alive, she's dead, I'm yours. Gross. That's so fucked up. Especially because, I mean, especially for many reasons, I guess. Yeah. But (laughs) partly it's kind of gross because he actually did really love Nancy. Yeah. It wasn't that he was like waiting to shake her off and and get out with somebody else. He really cared about her. So this is a tragedy for Sid. Yeah. And now he's like, oh, good. Now you can fuck other people and I'm going to sell shirts about it. Like, that's so fucking crazy. Exactly. Because it's not just capitalizing off this girl being dead. It's also capitalizing on how much everyone hated her. Yes, totally. So it's like, oh, remember how much you hated this girl? Well, now she's dead, so let's celebrate. Like, it's gross. twisted. Yeah, that's gross. Twisted. On October 22nd, 10 days later, Sid is home with his mom, and he tried to kill himself. He slashed his wrist with a broken light bulb Ugh. after taking his whole methadone supply. So he's down, and his mom, Anne, she calls Malcolm McLaren, who who had come over to the States. He rushes over, and Sid begs them to be finished off. He says that he and Nancy had a suicide pact and that he should be dead, too. Mm. 
So he ends up hospitalized at Bellevue in New York. But even while he was there, he tried to jump out a window saying, I want to be with Nancy. In December of 1978, Sid has a new girlfriend. It's an actress named Michelle Robinson. And he gives an interview from home with Michelle sitting right next to him. He Again, he is strung out. He's super depressed. He's barely answering questions. They ask him, like, what do you want to do next? I want to have some fun. You're not having fun now? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not having fun. Well, where do you want to be? Under the ground. Yeesh. Yeah. That's not a bit. That's that's no. literally <laughs> how that interview went. And that journalist was like, this piece is going to be a real killer. Yeah, right. He goes to the Haraz Club. He gets in a fight with Patty Smith's brother Todd and smashes him in the face with a bottle, which is a clear violation of his parole. So he gets arrested again. He's put in Rikers Island for seven weeks in their detox wing. So he has a forced detox. And McLaren claims that his mother Anne smuggled heroin in for Sid in her vagina, which is nature's pocket. <laughs> Johnny Rotten said Mick Jagger paid for Sid's lawyer and his bail at this point. And he really, Johnny praised Mick for never taking credit for that. Well, because Johnny hated the Stones and Mick Jagger and that whole scene so much. So it was like his like, you know what? You know what? That was a cool thing you did. Thanks, Johnny. I need your (laughs) approval. I'm Mick Jagger. Right. (laughs) That's what Mick Jagger sounds like. (laughs) Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Johnny. (laughs) Mick Jagger, his speaking voice, very surprising. Very different from his singing voice. (laughs) And Sid told reporters that he had spent his time in prison writing new songs, and he was really anxious for people to hear them. So it seemed like he was really on on the up. Yeah, but February 1st, the day he left prison, he went home. He was picked up by his mom and his girlfriend, Michelle. They went to Michelle's apartment. His mom made spaghetti bolognese. They had a small party. A few friends came over. They all got high. Neighbors actually said it was a very chill party. They were like, there's nothing to complain about. It was very quiet. And his mother had sent their friend, Peter Gravel, to bring them some heroin, which she paid for. And he came back with this incredibly pure stuff. They said it was 95% pure, which is nearly three times stronger than the street stuff in New York City. Mm-hmm. As the party fizzled out, Peter warned Sid, you know, don't take too much, man. This stuff is really fucking strong. But Sid did. He took way too much. And he collapsed. Anna Michelle managed to wake him up, but they decided, you know, let's not call an ambulance because if we do that, he's going to go back to jail and that's the last thing he wants. So later that night, in his bedroom, he injected more. And the next morning, Anne found Sid dead. Yeah, pathologist said his tolerance had been weakened from his forced detox in Rikers. Yeah. But of course, again, it is stronger than he's used to. And he probably felt like, oh, I'm an old hand at doing heroin. Yeah. I can handle it. And but he hadn't done it in so long. He, yeah. And it was stronger. Yeah. So it wasn't only just the amount. It was the purity of yeah. what he was doing. And so the police are, again, they're not looking for anybody else in connection with Nancy's death. Because who cares? Right. <laughs> I guess nobody likes this bitch anyway, so whatever. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we got this other crazy dude who, I mean, he had a knife. That's enough for us. So now that Sid is dead, they close that case. We're done. Yeah. It was never a celebrity death case to the media and to the police. It was just a couple of junkies died. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a junkie stabbed his girlfriend and then, and then a himself. junkie OD'd. 
uh, court sources told Daily News that the case against Sid wasn't really very strong, even. So conviction seemed unlikely. Yeah. So the cops probably just lazy and were like, well, we'll just, it's all good. They're both dead now, so who cares? Yeah. And Anne found a suicide note in Sid's pocket. It was a small scrap of paper that he'd written on front and back. Yeah, it said, we had a death pact. I have to keep my half of the bargain. Please bury me. Please turn over next to my baby. Bury me in a leather jacket, jeans, and motorcycle boots. Goodbye. And I'm really, the most amazing thing about this note to me is that he put PTO in parentheses (laughs) at the bottom of this, like, it's like a two by two inch square of ripped notebook paper. But he remembered his MLA format and wrote, (laughs) please turn over so that, you know, whoever found it wouldn't read one side and say... We had a death pact. I have to keep my half of the bargain. Please bury me. Okay. I guess I'll bury (laughs) you. We'll bury him. Oh, shit. I never turned it over to see the other side. Except it didn't matter because they didn't bury him. They cremated him. No, she couldn't afford a burial. Okay. So he was cremated. Anne did ask Deborah if she could sprinkle Sid's ashes on Nancy's grave. But Deborah said no. Yeah. He's like, I'm sorry. That's just... Too much. But Anne's a rebel, <laughs> just like her son. <laughs> she sure is. So she had the Misfits drummer, Jerry Only, drive her to King David Memorial Park and did it anyway. Yep. Johnny Rotten felt guilty about Sid's death. He said, I'll tell you to this day, I feel guilty about Sid. I wish I'd told him more about what to expect. He just had a brilliant sense of humor about everything. He'd just laugh about everything. And, you know, Johnny said that they just turned his death into making money. Uh, You know, Johnny was always ready to criticize anyone for making money off of anyone. But I think, you know, especially in this case, he was pretty right. That's pretty fucking twisted the way they did it. And he was not happy about it. So who did kill Nancy, if not Sid? Right. We can't really be sure it wasn't Sid, although almost everyone who was there said there's no way. People who were in the building were like, Sid was so fucked up on pills He couldn't have even picked up a knife, let alone stabbed someone intentionally with it. Do you think that he would have killed Nancy if he hadn't been fucked up? Like, I mean, like, do you think that was in him to do? Because I know he was physically violent to her, but like, I'm just wondering, do you think that he could have? Personally, no. I mean, Malcolm McLaren talks about this. He says they loved each other so much, like earnestly loved each other. He says there's no way Sid would have killed Nancy unless it was a suicide pact. If they did agree to that, then maybe. But, I mean, it's hard to say. Speculation Station, if we take drugs out of the equation. uh, Speculation Station, drugs in the equation. Um, (laughs) Wow, that's a new schoolhouse rock for you, kids. (laughs) It's the Randy Newman song. (laughs) Speculation Station, drugs in the equation. Uh... (laughs) Let's go on vacation today. (laughs) Stab, stab, stab. (laughs) So, uh, no, I don't think so. I think he would have just been a regular abusive boyfriend. Oh, just a regular one. It's possible that it could have gotten out of control and he could have caused more harm than he intended to. But um, I I don't think he would have tried to kill her. That's sort of where I'm at. Because I was like, well, I mean, this is a violent guy. He beat her up. I know she was also violent. So I'm like, these are two violent people. Like, maybe there was a time, you know, in the in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood version of this story where right. you retell it and maybe they could have. But I, I kind of agree where I'm like, I just don't. 
I don't see it. A lot of people, of course, point to the mysterious Michael, who was seen with Nancy's money. That seems to be at least everyone else's prime suspect. On one hand, that seems like an easy suspect. A mysterious man who was never seen again did it. Well, that takes the blame off of literally everyone. Everyone else, that's true. Um, But if anyone was going to do it, this guy who was barely known and could easily slip away, sure, why not? And it's like a robbery. He killed her in the course of stealing all their cash. The general consensus is that this was a robbery gone wrong, no matter what happened. Rocket's Red Glare privately bragged about doing it. But his friends say he also just loved to get a rise out of people by telling like elaborate made-up stories about things he'd done. So they were kind of like, that's yeah, just Rocket's talking. Nobody believed it. But apparently this wound that Nancy had, this stab wound, was not very deep. Uh, it wasn't a cut that would have killed her if right. she had gotten help in yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, like the coroner said, she was stabbed between 6 and 7 and died between 8 and 10. So she may have been just bleeding out for hours without attention. Ugh, horrible. Yeah. McLaren also said that he believes that Anne deliberately helped Sid OD because he said that she knew that Sid would rather be dead than go back to prison and that she was really trying to help him out there. People call them the punk Romeo and Juliet, which... I feel like is a stretch. Mm-hmm. Like they were two people who loved each other and died. That's about. But that's about where as the far similarities as end. Right. They were not from opposing factions who were begging them not to be together. People wanted them to fucking be together because it kept them away from <laughs> me. You know, like yes, Sid, go hang out with Nancy. Yeah. I can't take you anymore right now. Yeah. Why don't you guys go somewhere like real far away? Right. Not so- a lot of people want Nancy. Also, besides Sid. Right. Unlike. Juliet, who had other suitors. Right, right. <laughs> Nancy did not turn down a Paul Rudd astronaut <laughs> to go hang out with Sid. So it's an unsolved mystery. It sure is. Dungeon. Probably unsolved forever. Now, Paul, Steve, Johnny, they're all still alive today. Deborah, Nancy's mother, is alive, although Nancy's father died in 2010. Uh, Malcolm McLaren also died in 2010. And Johnny said... I may not have liked the man, but I appreciated his space on Earth, annoying though he could be. We had a healthy disrespect for each other. I went a little kiwi. A little kiwi at the end there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Mars. Mars. I, re- I appreciated his space on Mars. <laughs> Sorry, I love the expanse and I want to sound like Bobby. We love the so expanse. So kill me. God, please don't kill me. Not before the final season of the. I know, right? I gotta see what happens. (laughs) 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 At least let me have this one thing. (laughs) Nancy's sister Susie is a chef and a food stylist for movies, Mm -hmm. um, but we don't know much about her brother. He kept a low profile. Yeah, understandably. What a traumatic childhood to have with a sister like that. You're just like, I've been trying to fucking get away from that for a long time, so please don't bring it up. Susie's doing all right, though. Good job, Susie. And Anne, Sid's mother, died of a heroin overdose in 1996 at 63 years old. Still partying. Yeah. There are senior drug addicts. Absolutely. What can we say? Y'all, there is so much more to this story. Uh, This is probably a long-running episode as it is, because Mm -hmm. just talking about Sid and Nancy together is a pretty intense story. But if you go back and look at Nancy's childhood growing up, if you look at the whole history of the Sex Pistols, what was going on with them, and even the aftermath, there's a lot more to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, But I hope 
that y'all appreciated this story, at least of the Sid and Nancy romance, because it's unlike almost anything else. You know what it's most unlike? Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's funny how we, you know, went through this and we were like, man, they were only alive for a very short period of time. They were only together for a very short period of time. Right. But they filled that time with a lot. Yeah. A lot. Yep. So we were kind of like, wow, it's going to take a long time to talk about the very short time they were together. Yeah. It's unusual, but. Yeah. I'm not even sure we really got across just how fucked up and violent these two people were. I feel like they're the kind of people who, if I was around them, I would just, con- my entire thought process would be dedicated to how do I get away from this situation? Yes. How do I get out of here? I'm going to Irish goodbye this party <laughs> or, you know, I'm going to move to the West Coast. Like, right. get me away from these people as far away as you can. Oh, I'm hanging out with these people. I've done something terribly wrong. Right. <laughs> I have made a terrible direct gone in the wrong direction. I need to get out of here. So thanks for tuning in for Sid and Nancy. Yeah. Let us know what you thought. As yeah. always, we love hearing from you guys. Right. It's always so great to, you know, we're in theater. We're used to applause after these things, <laughs> but no one is in the bathroom to clap for us. And the dog never does it. Rude. So anyway, (laughs) whether you're booing or clapping, please let us know. We'd love to hear your feedback. Our email address is romance at iheartmedia.com. And you can get us on social media, of course. I'm at OhGreatIt'sEli on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at DianaMiteBoom on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the show at RidicRomance on both those platforms as well. Uh, So thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you on the next one. So long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Rip your shirt and your leather pads and listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. <laughs> Ever feel like your plastic bag? <laughs> From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.